Psalm 37. Psalm 37, once you have found that, if you were able to, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, and we'll begin with verses 6 through 9. Psalm 37, I'll begin in verse 6, and then we'll begin to read together out loud with verse number 7, and read in that pattern down through verse 9. All right. The Bible says in verse 6, And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Together, verse 7, Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. I'm going to preach a sermon this morning. We're going to begin it in the morning. We're going to complete it in the evening. And the title of the message is this, A Workshop on Waiting. A Workshop on Waiting. We're not always so good at waiting for things, are we? And so uh, this morning we're going to dive into, or this morning and evening, we're going to dive into that topic and talk about how God wants us to wait on Him. Let's pray this, this morning. Lord, thank You for the Bible and how it is relevant to every day and everything that happens in our life. And Lord, this morning my prayer is that each of us would learn the importance of patience. We would identify where we're impatient, especially toward You. And, Lord, we would see that corrected in our life. And, Lord, grow us. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I remember as a small boy going to Sunday school, I was taught that when we pray, God gives us one of three answers. And those three answers are yes, no, and wait. Yes, no, and wait. I've known some people who've gotten really upset with God because God does not say yes to every prayer they pray. And I just want to say right here, right now, that if God said yes to every prayer you prayed, you would be God and He would not. Right? Uh, God is God. He has the right to tell you no, and He has the right to tell you to wait. And I'm okay with yes, And I'm okay with no, but oftentimes wait is difficult. As I reflect over the years of my life, I can remember instances where God has given me all three of those answers. I remember that right out of Bible college, I was fired up about the position of senior pastor. Uh, As a Bible college student, I wrestled back and forth. Am I going to be a missionary that goes to a foreign land, or am I going to stay here in America and... Uh, and and pastor a church or uh, serve as a youth pastor or be a long-term second man assistant pastor in a large church, if you will. I wasn't sure entering Bible college what God's plan for my life was. In my junior year, God made it it abundantly clear to me through a a message in the the chapel uh, services there in college that God wanted me to be a senior pastor uh, in, in the United States of America, and boy, I, I wanted to be in church ministry. I wanted to do church work so bad, and, and I had it in my mind. Uh, I had it all laid out. I had my whole life laid out. I was going to graduate. I was going to get married, and then I was going to go right into the assistant pastor position. I was going to do that for three to five years, and then I was going to march right in to the senior pastorate position and serve in a church and be there for the rest of my life. But how many of you have lived life long enough to know that you can make the best plans of the world and if they don't line up with God, they're not going to quite work out that way. <laughs> yeah, you figured that out yet? And so I had this all laid out. I just knew exactly what I was going to do. And so I graduated Bible college, check. And then I got married seven days after I graduated from college. Check. Off to a good start. And so uh, my senior year of college, I began to look for an assistant pastor position, someone to hire me. And lo and behold, as great as I am, not one single offer. Uh, no, nobody called me. Nobody looked at my resume. No one seemed to care. Uh, but then my father, who um, was a Christian school administrator back where I graduated high school, he called and said, well, hey, since no one else is calling your phone, you want to come and teach in the school? And I looked left, and I looked right. That's your left and right, not mine. Amen. I looked left, I looked right, and I said, 
well, I don't have any other offers, so let's do it. And I, so I taught, I taught school for two years. I was the basketball coach and the soccer coach. And uh, when you, in a small Christian school, K, K through 12, there's about 200 kids. Um, when, when you're in a school that size, you wear a lot of hats. I taught math. I taught science. I, 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 did, I, I moderated a science class. Amen. I can't teach science. I don't know much about science. But I taught math. I taught Bible. I love teaching history. Um, I, I, I was involved in coaching. And about halfway through my second year, I was miserable. I had a seventh grade math class. Some people say, well, there is no purgatory. And the Bible definitely doesn't teach about purgatory. How many seventh grade math teachers? Amen. Brother Scarpetti did it for years in Bridgeport. He can tell you all about it. Amen. Um, there is a purgatory. Okay. And uh, so about halfway through that second year, I was done with school. They handed out intent letters to come back the next year. And I quickly checked off no. And I signed all the dotted line. When my contract was up in May, I was out of there. And lo and behold, um, uh, it took a little bit, but two years in to uh, 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 rather two years being out of college, I got hired at Granite Baptist Church in Glen Burnie, Maryland, where I got to be an assistant pastor for four years. It was a great four years of ministry. My second favorite place I've ever served. White Oak would be number one. Granite Baptist would be number two. I was the Spanish pastor there. I had started out as the children's pastor, and then I eventually uh, moved into the role of outreach pastor, all the follow-up of the church. It was a large church, seven, 800 people, and I loved it. God had answered my prayer. I had said, God, I want to be an assistant pastor, and God had said, yes, you can be an assistant pastor. I have to say that my favorite answer to prayer is when God says, yes, yes, you can be, you can do that. You can have that. Uh, here you go. Here's the answer to your prayer. But sometimes God says, no, no. How many of you know what it means when you pray and God just flat out says, no, you can't have what you want. Uh, and and uh, I got to Hagerstown, Maryland uh, several years later, and I um, was working in a church there, but they didn't have the finances to pay me a salary, so I was volunteering in the church as an assistant pastor, and I had side jobs. One of my side jobs, I was a home inspector for the bank. It was a, um, I was self-proprietor, self-employed, and I would go into homes all over the place that had been foreclosed on and taken back by the bank, and I would walk through and take pictures, and boy, I would go through homes that were uh, just needed to be bulldozed and pushed over. I could tell you stories, and I went into homes uh, where the copper had been stolen out of the wall, uh, and then I got to go into homes in the Washington, D.C. area that were probably worth two, three, and four million dollars. I went into a home one time that had six bedrooms in it. Every bedroom had its own full bath attached to it, okay? And a big spiral uh, 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 staircase and a big chandelier, something like you'd see in maybe Greenwich or Westport area. Um, and so there was one home that was three minutes from the church, and it was perfect. Angela and I had been married for seven years at that time, eight years at that time, and we'd never bought a home. We'd always rented, and we'd never made a lot of money in church ministry, and we, we, we were just infatuated with this idea of buying this home. And I remember walking through this house and the neighborhood and the, the layout of the home. It was Perfect for what we needed, what we rather what we wanted, and we. I, I went home that evening, and I got Angela, and I've got Matthew and April, and I put them in the car, and I drove back, and we sat in the driveway of that foreclosed home, and we had a family prayer meeting. I prayed, Angela prayed, and I thought, well, if God's not going to listen to our prayers, then surely He'll listen to the prayer of little four-year-old April. I mean, how do you tell that little cute thing no, right? And so my kids prayed, and boy, we really wanted that home, but God did not want us attached to Hagerstown, Maryland, because God knew a year or two later He was going to be moving us up here. So God shot that down. Every attempt we made to buy that house, the doors just kept slamming shut. And God said no. Personally, I can handle no just fine from God. I, I fully understand that His way is perfect. As I have matured in Christ, I have come to be at peace when God closes door, doors and there's a resounding no to my prayers. I'm at peace with that because I trust that God knows best. But ah, there is that third response. When God doesn't say yes or no, He just says wait. 
You know, my kids come to me and they say, Dad, can we do this or can we do that? Can we have this and can we have that? And there's, they, would like, they like when I say yes. They like when I say no. It drives them nuts when I look at them and say, maybe. <laughs> maybe. And so my daughter, she's clever. She says, um, is this maybe leaning yes <laughs> or is this maybe leaning no? And then she says, um, is it yaby or is it naby? When God says wait, in essence, he's saying maybe, maybe. Uh, Or he's just saying there's no conclusion yet, I'll get back to you, right? It's like when you click on a program on your computer and it says loading. And you come back a day later, (laughs) if it's a Windows computer and it still says loading, right? Um, That's tough. And um, wait is hard from God. I mentioned that as a Bible college student, I felt that God had called me to be a senior pastor of a church here in America. Um, there was a, um, a time when we were part of Granite Baptist Church in Glenbirdie, Maryland, where I felt that maybe it was time to go forward and be a senior pastor, to move out of the second man assistant pastor role and move into the senior pastor. So I began to put my resume out, and now I had more of a pastoral resume to offer. And lo and behold, a church in Lockport, Illinois, got hold of my resume, and they called. And we began to go through the process of being a senior pastor. This was back in 2013. And some of you aren't familiar with the independent Baptist way of doing this, but in essence, you put your name out there. There's no board that assigns you to a church. You put your name out there, and people get your resume, and they take it, and they look at it, and they have a pulpit committee of men that meet, and they look over it, and they decide uh, over all the resumes which one they want to call first. And They bring someone, uh, they send them a a questionnaire, and they fill that out, and then they bring them in and have them preach, and, and then they let the church ask them questions, and then there's a vote. So we began this process of looking for a church where we could pastor. And uh, The deacons, boy, they fell in love with my family. And uh, they they got some preaching tapes. And uh, they they, they seemed to enjoy the the preaching style. And and then they bought us all plane tickets to fly out to Illinois. And I'm thinking, boy, this is it. I was born in Indiana. And I'm going to go back to my roots. And I'm going to pastor right down the road from where I was born. And this church has got a lot of potential and a lot of excitement. And we got in there. And I, I brought my best sermons out. And I preached. And then the questionnaire came Sunday evening, and boy, it got hostile real fast. You all were nice to me in the questionnaire here. They weren't nice to me. Uh, I thought a fistfight was going to break out between a couple of the people in the room. And I did not know it, but the previous pastor had done some things that were scandalous in the church and had not yet come out. And that church was in turmoil below the service. Above the service, they looked like they had it all together. We got back on the plane to go home, and I was not so certain we were going to get the vote. And lo and behold, two weeks later, they took a vote, and we were voted down to be the senior pastor of that church. I can't even begin to tell you how crushed I was. Not only were we voted down, but my boss, my pastor, came to me and said, "Um, I already gave your salary to someone else. I thought you were going to get the vote. You You need to move along. You need to not be in this church anymore. and You need to find another place to live. And... Uh, I ended up uh, moving out of church work and, and got, a, got a regular job. And, and I, was God telling me no to being a senior pastor? No, he wasn't. He was saying, wait, wait. I would rather hear no than I would wait. Wait is a tough answer to know how to handle. How many of you are like me in that you don't, your flesh does not like it when God tells you to wait? You just... That's not your, your go-to, your preferred. Um, how God uh, told, has God told you to wait on something right now in your life? Something you want, or something that you want accomplished, and you believe it's even, maybe even in line with Scripture, or a way God has spoken to you before, but it, it's just not coming about. How are you handling it when God tells you to wait? Years ago, there was a New England preacher named Philip Brooks. His characteristics were poise and emotional control. His intimate friends, however, knew that at times he suffered moments of frustration and irritability. One day, a friend saw him pacing the floor like a caged lion. What is the trouble, Dr. Brooks asked his friends. Listen to what he said back. He said, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry 
but God isn't. I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Uh, this today, morning and evening, uh, we're going to take some time and look at this concept of how to wait on the Lord. Did you know that 37 verses contain the words, wait and Lord in them? Wait and Lord. Those two words are found in the same verse 37 times. Some form of the word wait is used 149 times in the Bible. Our, our fast-paced culture teaches us not to wait. We'll drop $1,000 on a new phone because our phones make us wait. Uh, we'll go buy a new TV if our TV doesn't change the channel fast enough. We'll switch Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks in the morning if the drive through line makes us wait. I uh, stopped at Dunkin' Donuts this morning and uh, I made an order and the girl came to the counter, took my money, you know, they're really fast at that. You notice that? They don't, there's no hesitation there. And I heard a preacher say the other day, he said, have you ever noticed that in charismatic churches where they speak in tongues, when it comes time for the offering, they always speak in English? Um, they always seem to get that one down, right? Um, uh, and that's just a fun little uh, uh, jib there. Uh, but uh, they, real, they, they took my money, and then the, the girl disappeared from the window and she came back and she said, didn't you get your coffees? And I ordered one from me and my wife. And I looked at her and I said, no. And she said, oh, wait. And I thought, okay, all right, Lord. You know what I'm preaching this morning. And about two or three minutes later, she came back to the window and said, uh, that machine is broken. Uh, what would you like us to do? We can give you this instead. And, and I should have just asked for my money back. And I said, okay, go ahead. And so she came back and uh, she gave us what she gave us, and it ended up in the trash can. Amen. Uh, but what was God trying to say there in that moment? What, what, what is life about? It's learning about patience, especially when we pray. When we pray, God wants us to learn to wait. And so this morning, I'd like for us to consider four attributes, four attributes that should embody the believer on this topic of wait. And then tonight, we'll look at four actions that should accompany this concept of waiting. So this morning we'll look at four attributes, and in the evening we'll look at four actions. Let's jump in this morning, and let's notice the first attribute. Attribute number one, we are to wait with courage. We are to wait with courage. Look back at Psalm chapter 27, and look at verse number 14. The Bible says, wait, uh, wait on the Lord... Maybe 37. I may have put the wrong uh, passage down. If 2714 doesn't say this, turn back to 37. Amen? All right. Be patient with me this morning. Is it 27 or 37? 27. All right. Good. Okay. I didn't know if there was a typo there or not. 27. Look at 14. It says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. You see that word courage? And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait. I say on the Lord, be of good courage. When we're waiting, sometimes we can grow weary and discouraged and wonder if God's there or has forgotten about us. Um, we're going to be turning uh, through the pages of the Bible quite a bit this morning, and this will be more of a topical sermon of, of, of sorts. Uh, look, turn over, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And 1 Samuel, hold your place in Psalm 27. 1 Samuel 13 is to the left of uh, where you are in Psalm, back a handful of books, and you have First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. So First Samuel, chapter number thirteen. I'd like to give you some examples this morning of how we wait. And the first example of, of how to wait is uh, uh, we're to wait with courage. Let's look at the life of King Saul versus the life of King David. Now David said, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Saul struggled with waiting on the Lord and doing so with good courage. Look at verse number 8 of 1 Samuel 13. The Bible says, and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered 
from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, and it came to pass that as soon as he made an end of offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, um, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I have forced myself, look there, I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. What happened here? Uh, Samuel the prophet had gone to Saul and said, I want you to go uh, to this location. I want you to take your soldiers and I want you to wait. Wait until I get there. I will come at this day and on this particular day, I will come and I will bless you. I will pray over the army. I will offer a sacrifice. And once I, the prophet of God, have offered the sacrifice, then you will be free to go and fight this battle. So, uh, sure enough, Saul does as he's told initially. He goes to that location where uh, they're assigned a arrive in Gilgal, which is sort of down in a valley. And we know from other passages that Saul sat under a tree. And uh, Saul was wringing his hands as he did oftentimes in Scripture. He was filled with worry and fear because the enemy was gathering around him. And you know, uh, his soldiers took their emotional cues from their leader. He was filled with worry and fret and fear, so they became worried with fret and fear. There he is, pacing back and forth, if you will. And the soldiers, in their waiting, they leave and they begin to hide in the caves. They're afraid that the army is going to descend upon them and kill them. And lo and behold, they come to the day appointed where Samuel is supposed to offer this sacrifice And I'm sure Saul woke up that morning and his head must have popped off the pillow, if you will. And he got up and he went, looked over the horizon to see if Samuel was coming and there was no sign of Samuel. And so he went back and had his breakfast and pushed his eggs around his plate. And he got up and after breakfast and he went back and he looked over the horizon and still no Samuel. Then lunchtime came and lunch was prepared and brought to him. And he's so filled with worry and fear, he pushes his mashed potatoes and green beans and and steak around the plate and gets up and looks and lo and behold no Samuel and it's getting later and later in the afternoon and then Saul comes to the conclusion Samuel isn't coming and I'm going to be destroyed and so Saul takes matters in his own hands and he disobeys. Instead of waiting for Samuel to show up Instead, he orders to have an altar built and an animal to be brought and the sacrifice is made by Saul And right after they finish the sacrifice, wouldn't you know it, here comes Samuel. I've heard this sermon, this passage preached and taught that Samuel was late. Samuel was not late. Samuel came the day he said he would come. He just came at the end of the day. Can I just tell you a little something I've learned uh, in uh, 30, let's see, 33 years of being a Christian? Watch this now. God is hardly ever early. He usually comes through at the last minute. You know why He does that? He wants to check your faith. He's giving you a faith check. He's seeing how much you really, really trust Him. And it's in that 11th hour when it feels as though everything's going to fall apart. When God comes through, two things happen. Your faith grows and He gets all the credit. But God wants you to wait with courage. Did Saul wait with courage? No. He took matters in his own hand. And many people think that the reason why Saul lost the throne was because he did not destroy all the Amalekites in chapter 16. That's not true. He lost the throne right here in chapter 13 when he offered the sacrifice before he was suppo- when he wasn't supposed to. 
You see, you may be in a spot right now where you've prayed and God's told you to wait or God's been silent and that means wait and you think, well, God's not coming through, so I need to take matters in my own hands. And God says, no, you be faithful to the Christian principles. You stick for, you stay true to who you are in Christ. You stay obedient to Scripture. You are to wait with courage. You are to wait on the Lord and trust that He will come through. We are to wait with courage. Attribute number two, we are to wait with patience. We are to wait with patience. Go back to Psalm chapter 37 and look with me at verse number 7. 37 and 7. We said that Saul, boy, he did not wait on the Lord with courage. David did wait on the Lord with courage. In fact, he would tell us over and over again in the book of Psalm to wait on the Lord and to be of good courage. How about patience? How does patience play a role in waiting? Well, look at verse number 7 of Psalm 37. It says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Take your Bibles over to Second Kings chapter number six. We're in First Samuel. Go three uh, three books to the left or to the right of that, rather. Second Kings chapter number six. Um, what had happened here is that uh, the uh, Syrian army had surrounded uh, the city of Samaria where the king lived, and they had cut off food supply. Back then, in Bible times, the way you defended yourself against the enemy is you'd build a wall that went all the way around. You'd have several gates and men who would watch those gates, and there weren't airplanes to fly over and air raid or bomb, and so you'd put up a nice tall wall, and that would keep any sort of a foot army from attacking you. And that's all fine and good, but the problem with a wall is that uh, you only have a few doors to get in and out of, so what the army can do is they can set up a perimeter around that wall, and they can prevent any food from making it into you. And this is what Ben-Hadad and the Syrian army did to Samaria. They set up a perimeter and they pro- prohibited food from coming in. And what you, what you would do is you would wait for the people to starve to death and then eventually that would force them out of, of the wall and then you could have an army on equal footing. And so lo and behold, the city has been surrounded and the food supply is gone and now they're beginning to starve. And so the king in this chapter, uh, second, same, or second king six, he's walking through the city. He's taking, uh, uh, just taking note of the condition that things are. And a woman stops him and asks for help. And what was her story? She said to the king, she said, King, now me and this other woman here, we agreed that today, that yesterday we would eat my son and today we would eat her son how bad had things gotten where they were willing to eat their own children to survive and the king looks at her and and i mean he's just despondent over what she says and 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 he just stares at the woman and the woman says to him now here's the problem we ate my son yesterday but today she's hidden her child that's not fair And the king's response is that he is both sorrowful and then his sorrow turns into anger at God. Look at chapter 6 and verse 30. 2 Kings 6.30, it says, And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by into the wall. And the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Then he said, God, do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, this is God's man, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, um, shall stand on him this day. But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him, and the king sent a man from before him. But ere the messengers came to him, he said to the elders, See ye how this son of a murderer, referring to the king, hath sent me to take away mine head. Look what the messenger cometh. Shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Keep him out of the house. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for? Rather, what should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then, look at chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel. 
and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. Well, as the story goes, there was a leper colony outside of the city of Samaria, and they got their food from within Samaria. And all of a sudden, they're not getting anything to eat. And this, the lepers on the, in the leper colony, outside the walls, they're beginning to starve to death. And they begin to reason with each other. And the one leper looks at the other leper and says, Hey, look, if we go to the, go to the Syrian army and they kill us, we ask them for food and they kill us, we're going to die anyway. What do we have to lose? We're lepers, right? What do we got to lose? So these lepers, they go to where the Syrian army had been, but there was a loud noise that God had sent that was so intimidating that the Syrian army had got up in a hurry and had left their tents and all of their food behind. And so the lepers walk up to this uh, uh, where the Syrian army had been, and they see the camp, and they see all the food. And man, I mean, they've got a turkey leg in this hand, and they've got a plate of mashed potatoes over here. And I mean, they're just like at the buffet. They're just stuffing their faces. And I mean, they've got meat between their teeth, and they're starving. And so they're just eating. And the one man looks at the other, and he says, We do not well. He said, Here we are, stuffing our face. Here we are at the Golden Corral, amen? Here we are having a great time, and our brethren are dying. They're starving. He said, maybe we should go tell them. And so those lepers, they gingerly approach the door. You know, they're lepers. They're not supposed to come close. And they say, hey, the Syrian army is gone. And can you imagine, all right, how many of you ever, how many of you remember the days when, um, Walmart and Target would open their doors on Black Friday on Friday morning. How do you remember those days? How many of you were foolish enough to go? Amen? I've heard of stories of people getting trampled, right? This is what happened. The king, the people are, in a, are they're starving. And so there's a buildup at the gate. And the gate opens and the king is toward the front of the line. And the people are so hungry, the king looks out through the gate and he sees where the food is. And he gets trampled to death by his own people. Elisha's prophecy had come true. Now, you may be here this morning, and you may feel as though God has told you to wait. You say, well, pastor, isn't the word wait and the word patient synonymous? Oh, no, it's not. Because someone can force you to wait, and you can be impatient in the process. God may be calling you to wait. The question is, are you waiting impatiently? Like this king, who feels as though God has done him wrong, or are you waiting patiently? Now contrast this king, um, uh, rather, let me see here. Contrast this king, uh, if you would, uh, with uh, Elisha. Elisha sitting in his house. He's rocking back and forth in his chair. He doesn't have anything to eat either. He's not privileged. If the king isn't eating, he's not eating. In fact, him and the king are at odds with each other. And Elisha's rocking back and forth in his chair, and he says, this time tomorrow everyone will be eating, and the prices of food will go way back down. Everything is going to be good. My friend, are you going to be more like the king, or are you going to be more like the prophet? How is it that you're going to wait on the Lord? Look back with me at Psalm number, uh, chapter 37, and look at verse number 7. It says here, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently. For him, we're to wait with courage. We're to wait with patience. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Look at verse nine. For evil doers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. When you learn to trust God's timing and you learn to wait with patience on the Lord, what you'll find is that God will allow you to inherit the earth. What is the result of waiting impatiently? Well, God punishes the evildoers. Waiting impatiently puts you in the camp of the evildoers. However, if you wait with patience, you find that you inherit the earth. Four attributes of waiting this morning. We see we are to wait with courage. 
We are to wait with patience. Notice number three, we are to wait with hope. We are to wait with hope. Turn to Psalm 39 and verse number 7. Psalm 39 and look with me at verse 7 and 8. The Bible says, And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in Thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. What wait I for? My hope is in Thee. My hope is in Thee. We can wait on a God who we know will come through on His promises. Take your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 21. That's in the Old Testament. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter number 21. Here we find the story of David numbering the people, taking a census of the people, even though God had commanded him not to do it. Now, is it a sin on its own to take a census? No, we have a census that uh, is passed around the United States of America every 10 years. And unfortunately, that, like many other things, has become politicized. And I hate that. It's just a simple counting of the people. And there shouldn't really be anything political about it. But God, in this time and in this place, had told David, do not number the people. Don't take a census. And why had God told David not to do that? Well, it would seem that God knew if David found out how many people were in his kingdom, then his heart would be lifted up in pride. I am the king of X amount of people. And so God said, do not number the people. And David told his general, go forth and number the people. And his general said, David, God doesn't want you to do that. And he said, I'm in charge. Do what I say. And so the general goes out and does a very um, a generic job, a, a very quick job, a, a rush job, if you will, of counting the people and comes back and uh, tells the king. And right after he's told, a prophet is sent to David. David, and David is given one of three choices of how God is going to punish him for being disobedient. Look at First Chronicles chapter 21 and look at verse number 13. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall in the hand of man. You know... We serve a God who is a great God, and even in His punishment, His chastisement. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth. Even as a father and his son, and, and, even as a father and his son whom He delighteth. Um, many people have a view of God, that God's this big, mean ogre, this big, mean guy who's angry all the time, and He's got a stick. And he just looks down from heaven and he just bops people on top of the head. Right? Out of frustration. Ah! Pop! You know, if that was true, I'd been dead a long time ago. How many of you with me on that? Right? You know, you know what God is? God is a God who is merciful and loving and forgiving and caring. In fact, God in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, could be looked upon sort of as a pushover. Now, God's not a pushover. God is a God of truth, and He does punish. But you know, God is this balance of mercy and truth, where even in His chastisement, He does it in a way that's loving and caring and kind. And so David turned himself over to the Lord in this situation, and the Lord was supposed to send a death angel through uh, the camp of Israel and uh, kill the Israelites because of David's actions. And God stopped this angel early from the uh, original punishment because God had mercy on David. And my friend, you're here today and God has told you to wait and you say, well, I don't want to wait. I want it now. Or I don't want to wait any longer. I want it sooner. And my friend, take your eyes off what you want for just a little bit and put your eyes on the Lord and say, my hope is in the Lord. My trust is in the Lord. And I know that He will give me what I need, not when I want it, but when He knows I need it. Are you waiting with hope? Are you waiting with hope? You see, we serve a God who's all-powerful and ever-loving. And He looks after His children. Uh, I think of the passage in the New Testament uh, where uh, Jesus is teaching and He says, uh, how many of you parents, if your child asks you uh, for a piece of bread, are you going to give them a stone? 
They ask for milk, are you going to give them a scorpion? And then he says, you being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to them that ask Him? We serve an Abba. We serve a Father who is faithful, who loves us, and who looks after us. And listen, you don't need to try to run around and figure it all out on your own. You need to put your trust in God and say, my hope is in a God who can and will and loves me. Are you trusting Are you waiting with hope? Or are you taking matters into your own hands and trying to fix it and do it? Uh, My personality is that I'm a doer. I I like to get things done. and I don't always take the most effective route to get there. Uh, I get a a, a list of tasks in front of me. It's something I have to work on. And, you know, uh, my mantra isn't ready, aim, fire. My mantra is ready, fire, aim. And I'm pulling the trigger to try to get it done. And I might use five or six bullets, but I'm going to obliterate that target. And um, I might use uh, 20 bullets, but I'm going to obliterate the target. I'm not going to quit until the target's been destroyed. And, you know, uh, oftentimes God is saying to me, I don't want you to do anything but just wait. You are trying to do my job. Just back up and let me. And let me. Are you waiting with hope? You see, we only can wait with hope if we believe that God has our best interests in mind. Oftentimes, I think our actions say that we don't believe God has our best interest in mind. We think that, well, you know, God's got so much going on, He forgot about me. You listen this morning, God hasn't forgotten about you. He knows right where you are. He knows the circumstances you're going through. He knows the desires of your heart. And if you're walking with Him, He probably put them there. Are you waiting with hope? David took his eyes off the Lord and put them on his people. David began to trust himself. That's where he got into trouble. Number four, and lastly, we are to wait with anticipation. We are to wait with anticipation. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah is to the right of the book of Psalm. Uh, To the right. Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 25. And let's look at verse number 9. The Bible says, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. There, what's the prophet saying here? Isaiah is saying there's going to come a day where we say to each other, we waited and waited and waited and waited, and there's going to be a group of people who look at each other and say, the wait is over. The wait is over. And so when you wait, yes, wait with courage. When you wait, wait with patience. When you wait, wait with hope. But when you wait, don't doubt that God's going to come through on His promise. Wait with the anticipation that when His time is right, He's going to come through for me and you. Turn over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. Two more verses this morning will be done. Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. You know, what was it that the Israelites were waiting for? They were waiting for their Messiah. From the time you were a little, little, little guy, a little one, all the way up through your death, you were taught as an Israelite that the Messiah is coming. The, the promised one is coming. The chosen one is coming. He's going to deliver us. And they would teach He's going to deliver us from political persecution. Uh, he's going to bring about Israeli dominance. But the Bible teaches that first Jesus would come and He would offer uh, deliverance, not from political persecution, but from the bondage of sin. And that Jesus would 
would come not as a, as a, as a lion, but the first time He would come as a lamb. They wanted Him to come as a king, but Jesus would first come as a servant. And they wanted Him to come as a, as a king, and first He was going to come as a prophet. And so, lo and behold, there was a day where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. The Bible says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation, waiting for the prized one, waiting for the Messiah of Israel and the Holy Ghost was upon him. I want you to imagine this. Simeon was an old man, and Anna also in this passage was an old woman. I mean, they were uh, uh, way up in years, and God had made them a promise that they would get to see the Messiah before they died. And Simeon and Anna were busy serving in the temple and loving on the Lord and being faithful to Him. And one day, uh, Mary and Joseph came walking into the temple with a with a little baby, baby Jesus, and they walked up. To, uh, to Mary and Joseph, and they knew it. They knew the Spirit of God had moved in their heart. They knew this is the answer to the long wait. You see, all of the prophets and people of yesteryear had been told a Messiah is coming, a Messiah is coming, and many of them had lost hope that God was going to come through. But my friend, God came through. And Simeon and Anna got to hold God roped in flesh in their arms that precious baby Jesus. And they got to see that prayer, that you need to wait, that come to an answer, and they got to hold that baby. You know, I have seen many times where God has come through for me after a long season of waiting. And you know, God is going to answer your prayer and take the weight off and give you that answer yes when the time is right. Take your Bibles to Philippians 1, and we'll finish here. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6. God is telling you to wait this morning, and you're having a tough time with it. You say, why is God making me wait? Why, why can't I just have it now? God is doing a work in you. He has a long-term plan in place. Look at Philippians 1 and look at verse number 6, a very common verse, but one I want to draw a truth out of here this morning. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will, notice the future tense here, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, way down over here is the version of me the day I step onto the shores of heaven. This version of me will be without sin. And this version of me will be made to look like the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. But see, way back over here is where I'm currently at. See, this version of me is filled with sin and unrighteousness and selfishness and pride and flaws and errors. And some folks, they just plunk down right here. And say, I'm not going to become like that. I'm enjoying my sin too much. And God is using the Holy Spirit to try to get us to take gradual steps toward what we'll look like when we get to heaven. By the way, this process I'm explaining is the big fancy theological word, sanctification. Some of us here this morning don't understand why God's saying to wait. Can I tell you why God's trying to make you wait? Because He's trying to grow your faith. He's trying to grow you and turn you into the image and likeness of Christ. Here's the truth. If you're fighting the process and you're doubting God, you're not going to progress. You're going to digress. But if you'll just learn to say, Lord, I trust You. And I trust Your work. And I trust that You're going to come through. I anticipate that answered prayer. And my friend, you are learning to wait with anticipation. Wait with anticipation. What is it for you this morning that you want so bad? Maybe you have a child that's wayward and away from the Lord and that relationship's broken right now. And you think, well... 
Lord, I know you said in Proverbs 22 that if I trained up my child the right way, that when they were old, they would not depart from it. And I'm not getting what I want right now. And God says, wait with courage. Wait with patience. Wait with hope. Wait with anticipation. But whatever you do, wait. Wait. We've looked at four attributes about waiting this morning. Tonight, we're going to look at four actions. What does God want me to do while I wait? We're going to highlight this evening. But this morning, I want to ask you this. Are you waiting on the Lord? Or are you just taking matters into your own hands? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me. I'm not all that I ought to be for the Lord, but one thing is for certain. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me. I've put my faith in Jesus, and He has saved my soul. If that's your testimony this morning, would you unashamedly just raise your hand right where you are? I know I'm going to heaven. I've got that answer settled in my heart. I know that if I died tonight in my sleep, I'd wake up in the presence of God. I saw many hands raised. I didn't see every hand raised. And if you didn't raise your hand this morning, I, I want to thank you for your honesty. There's nothing to be ashamed of with that. You came to church here this morning, and we want to offer you an opportunity to become part of the family of God. We want to offer you an opportunity to get your sins forgiven. And that process takes place when you put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You call on His name. Through faith, and He'll save your soul. If you're here this morning and you've ne- you don't know where you're going to go if you die today, you get in your car, you go home this afternoon, and somebody hits you, and you get in a nasty car accident, and you uh, end up dead. And uh, probably won't happen, but it very well could. We're not promised tomorrow. That were you. Do you know if you'd go to heaven or hell? Have you gotten that matter settled? First John five tells us that we can know that we have eternal life. This isn't a maybe so or a hope so, and this isn't something you have to wait for. This is something you can get settled right now. The Bible tells us, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor Lejeune, if I were to die right now, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. If that's you, in no way do I want to embarrass you or show you up. I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to make you look bad. It's private. I'm the only one looking. But if you don't know where you'd go if you die, I'd like to pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I'm just not certain where I'd go if I die. I see one hand. Is there anyone else? I just don't know. Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me? Boy, the rest of you here, I hope you have that matter settled. If you don't have that matter settled, I'd be happy to speak with you after service this morning and help you to get that figured out. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, the Lord knew exactly what I needed this morning from the Word of God and something that was said in the message this morning, the Lord is working on my heart. Pastor, pray for me that God will help me in this area of conviction from the Spirit of God this morning. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Pastor, pray for me that I'll do better with what God's working inside of my heart. Lord, I pray you'd help these that have raised their hand to trust you. Lord, the whole Christian life can be summed up in the phrase, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lord, help us to wait. Help us to wait on you. Lord, in these areas, when you tell us, may we put our faith and trust in you. Work in our midst this morning. May decisions be made, Lord, that affect eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.